Welcome to Kitchen Table, candid conversations about sex, relationships, and being human. I'm Brittany Paula Castro. I'm Nick Anthony, and today we're talking to Amy Crichton. We're answering your questions. Yes, it's our season finale. Hey, Nick. Hey, Brittany. It's our season finale. Season finale. Season finale time. Mm, 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 mm. So I think this is like, I didn't have a chance to count before, but I think this is like our like, maybe like 25th-ish show. I have not counted. Episode. I haven't counted at all. <laughs> yeah, because you don't do the behind the scenes stuff. <laughs> that did me. Yeah. So, you know, we've had, I mean, we've been going since April. Yes, we this have. This is our first season of the show. How are you feeling about it? I feel great. You know, I've had my ups and downs a little bit. It's a lot of work putting mm-hmm. on a podcast. We're not doing ads right now. That's a whole nother. It's also a lot of work. And, and um, really right now, we're just doing this as a gift, as um, a way to connect and collaborate with other people, right? Of our speakers that come on the show, our guests, which has been amazing. Mm-hmm. And then also as a way to really offer a different perspective of life and how to live. And it's felt really good being able to do that. And it feels really good to be able to take a break Oh yeah, as well. Absolutely. In terms of what the podcast has represented for me, just creating more normalcy around these topics is, it's important. And the conversations that we should be having more of should get rid of that. Having more of these conversations will be very useful for um, all of us. Yeah. Look at you catching yourself with the should. I did. This is a should-free zone. No shoulds. <laughs> and that is what we call growth. <laughs> yeah. And so, and I agree. I think that that's normalizing these ways of being and thinking and feeling is my number one impetus for wanting to do this as well. Mm-hmm. And, um, and have really like connected and honed in on that like over our time of doing this. And so we are absolutely doing a a season two. Um, That's probably going to be, I would say it's going to be in the new year, January, February. We don't have it completely, you know, when we're going to start again, we'll start recording probably next month, but we'll be back. We'll be here for season two. We would love to hear from all of you. What you would like to hear about, what you would like us to talk about, you can, best way to do that is to DM me at sexually underscore liberated on Instagram and let us know, let us know what you want to learn about, grow about and be in deep conversation about. Speaking of which, today we have one of our most popular, a guest from one of our most popular episodes, which is sex therapist Amy Crichton Mm -hmm. is on. She's amazing. We are so excited for this episode. We are answering your questions. (gasps) Exciting. Your sex questions, your polyamory questions, your kink questions. I put a post out on Instagram and you guys delivered and you gave us some good questions. So I will be reading them and then we're going to give you our thoughts and it's going to be good. I've been looking forward to this one, the stream of consciousness and also like a lock bearing on what the questions are. So I'm just going to spit this out, spit the truth. And Amy and I know what's coming because we both read them, but Nick doesn't know. So Mm -mm. I think it's going to be really fun. Buckle up. Here we go. Giddy up. Season finale time. Welcome to Kitchen Table. I'm Brittany. I'm Nick. And you are in for a treat today. So first of all, it is our season finale. And second of all, we have one of our all-time favorite guests, who is sex therapist, Amy Crichton, to answer your questions. So glad to be back. We're so happy to have you back. This is We're just going to have so much fun. Mm-hmm. 
Let's, just, let's, let's lay it in. Let's go yeah. in. I'm ready. So thank you for being here again. Pre, thank you for all the wisdom that you're about to share because I just, this is going to be magic. No pressure. <laughs> I was just going to say no pressure. It's going to be magic. I can feel it in my bones. I knew. I felt it like in the days as we talked about doing it, I was like, oh, this is going to be good. Yeah. And so we got a lot of questions. At first I was like, come on, you guys. Like you asked me like unsolicited questions literally all the time. And now I'm like, okay, I like, but like questions and like, it's all like shy. But then like, all, of a sudden, all of a sudden it was like, everybody was like, boom, 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 my, my procrastinators. So we got a bunch and, um, and I think they're really good. So we're going to get to it because we really want to get as many questions as, as we can. Okay. So here's the first one. Nobody knows what the first one's going to be except me because I have it in my hand. <laughs> okay. So the first one, of course, these are all anonymous as a gender queer pansexual person. I am attracted to people with vaginas as well as to people with penises. My girlfriend knows this about me and I've never received or experienced even a hint of judgment or shame from her. But recently we had a discussion about how I'd like to explore her pegging me, a term I don't actually like. I want to be fucked, not pegged. So pegging is being, um, having usually a male body, someone with a penis, getting fucked in the ass basically by a, you know, a toy. Oftentimes worn with a strap on, doesn't have to be. And so wants to be pegged, but likes the idea of being fucked, not pegged. And we have a goal to do this before the end of the year. Yahoo! (laughs) Here's my question. I don't feel embarrassed or shameful embodying the lust I have for cock when exploring sexual connection with folks who actually have them. But I do feel a little terrified embodying that side of myself with my partner who does not have one. I love giving head, but what is giving head to someone whose penis isn't even real? I love stepping into my feminine sensuality and power and receiving anal pleasure, but feel nervous surrendering to that as I've received shame from a previous significant partner. I'm absolutely sure that my partner won't judge me. But how do I release that judgment of myself? Ooh. So we're bringing the, we're bringing like the heartfelt, like fire. Yeah. Bringing the heat with the first question. Yeah. Like this is my favorite question. One of my favorites. I love, I love a, a lot of them, mm-hmm. but this one I really was like, so I just, I first want to acknowledge that the consciousness and the self-awareness yes. of the person, you know, that asked this question, I want to acknowledge that first. Yes. And I think it takes a lot of courage to ask this question. Oh, yeah. So much. Oh, my God. So much courage. Yes. As someone with a, you know, with a penis and, that, like, you know, like, there, it's just connecting with your femininity, you know, as a male or as a penis owner, connecting with the desire to want to receive this kind of pleasure. And, you know, this nuance I just was so fascinated by because oftentimes it's either like, and I'll just speak from, you know, this person is queer identified, but like just from like, you know, cishet males, right. Or like, it's either like, okay, yeah, I'll explore that. Or like, I will never have anything penetrate my ass. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so to be in this nuanced position of like, yes, I'm very comfortable experiencing that with other men and, you know, as a queer person 
And there's this deeper vulnerability mm-hmm. experiencing this with my female partner. Well, there already seems to be so much intentionality around just like being in conversation, being in communication with your partner. I mean, it's, it all feels like it's more like internal. How, the energetic is still living within them based off of yeah. previous interactions. Mm-hmm. But just reminding yourself that this, who you're entering this with, mm-hmm. is not the same person that was. Like that was then, this is a different person completely. And mm-hmm. it sounds like there's a lot of thoughtfulness mm-hmm. in this interaction already. So yeah, it just maybe a situation of them going forward and mm-hmm. like with that, that energy and be like, all right, this is here. I see you. And mm-hmm. and just having sessions where like you're, you're engaging in this way and it, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're grounded in that. And over time, it'll just become less and less and less and less and less. Mm-hmm. So it may always be there, you know, but for the most part with the right person, you yeah. have more access and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, ease. When I hear this question, I hear it in kind of two parts. So on an interpersonal level, this, the person is saying like, I've experienced shaming from a previous partner. So Nick, I think you used the word residual. Like if I was talking to this person directly, I would want to know more about that. What about that shaming experience still lives with you? Because even though they're saying like, I don't experience shame with this partner, right? Internally, I'm wondering if they're carrying something from this past experience. And then the second part of this, I think we started to touch on it a little bit, Brittany, when you said like the self-awareness of this and like to have, to be a person with a penis asking for this kind of pleasure, wanting this kind of pleasure. Why is that? And I think it's because systemically and societally, you know, we come from a society that is inherently homophobic, inherently misogynistic. I mean, all these are tools of white supremacy, which is like a whole other conversation, but why is it so courageous for a person with a penis to want to experience pleasure in this way? Because the messages that we're given is that it's somehow not okay. And that it's only, you know, also that it's only okay. And this, the question really kind of backs this up that it's only okay for like two gay men to do it. Yeah. Exactly. That's why I brought in this piece of misogyny, right? Because to have a female person being the one with quote unquote, the power, right? Cause you know, the penis is the power. I'm putting this in quotation marks. You know, this is like a, an auditory thing. So <laughs> I want everyone to know I'm putting that in quotation marks. Right. <laughs> so I think that that's where misogyny in some ways comes into play. Like I, if I were seeing this person, I would want to talk about the interpersonal experience and also the broader systemic experience. Yeah, like internalized misogyny, perhaps, like how that shows up in your body and in your experience. Absolutely. Oof. Oh, yeah. That's good. Like, I feel like, yeah, if you're a man (laughs) growing (laughs) up in this, you know, current culture, Mm -hmm. vibration, algorithm, whatever you want to call it, you want to internalize some shit. And there are a lot we of, all do. yeah, we, we do. But in terms of men specifically, like we, yeah, that trope of just being like a tough dude and not, oh, I don't have any, emo- I don't need to express or show any kind of emotion overall. It, it permeates everything. And that's trying to basically stunt and show out for who? These external reasons, you know, other men, you know, just so we can feel like, you know, we got, we got a big dick and, you know, our chest is puffed out. I'm like, no. That just not, doesn't serve me. I don't want to be served by that anymore. I want something new. It's been different. And like even someone who would, seems like the, you know, the writer will say, like has a pretty strong awareness of their own femininity uh, yes. and, you know, their queerness and all of these things still is experiencing that vulnerability, mm-hmm. right? 
And so there's, it's like, it's like we can know this in our minds, but the experience, how it lives in our bodies and our nervous systems is different. Oh yeah. And how the world treats us because of it. Oh yeah. Yes. That part. Yeah. And so I think like we've dropped into the emotionality of it, but I think also like some practicality, what I'd like to offer is sounds like, you know, they're building up to this. Like they, like their goal is like to, to use a toy for him to, you know, you fucked with this toy by his girlfriend by the end of the year. Right. Mm -hmm. So that feels like, like a lovely, like fun goal. It's not like next week I need to do this, you know? And then also even putting some softness around that, like that could happen, that couldn't. And if it doesn't, it's okay. Mm -hmm. Right. That's okay. But I think like the first time maybe, and I don't, you know, I don't know what kind of play they've done and kind of anal play they've done. So, so say they haven't really done much anal play, like maybe it's the first time it's using a butt plug first, maybe he like, like starts using it. Maybe he inserts the butt plug first and then she like plays with it. Mm-hmm. Right. So maybe it's his like authority for his, him doing that first. And then, you know, maybe they get like a larger toy. And again, they may have already been doing this, but if not, you know, they get a larger toy and maybe it's not the putting on the strap on and really going into that. Like, you know, he mentioned like, sucking a cock. So like playing in that way, but maybe it's first, like, I'm going to hold it and I'm going to play in this way as yeah. opposed to wearing it and just titrating it like yeah. little by little. And like, how does that feel in my body? Mm-hmm. How did I feel after that happened? Yeah. Yes. Like, yeah. I think what you're saying, like a lot of before care, a lot of after care. Yes. Throughout the whole titration of the experience. Like what about this felt okay? How can we put that into the next experience? What didn't feel okay? How do we remove that? Yeah. And it sounds like that, that that's, that's present in impossible. this question, impossible in this, in this mm-hmm. question. But I, yeah. So like kudos for you, to, for them to be able to talk about this and, Absolutely. Also, and also have the space and a partner that's like willing and like game. Yeah. game. yeah like it's like everything we just like said, like about how to go about it. Like it feels like that's possible mm-hmm. if something comes up or anything like that. It's a safe space and container to explore these things. Yep. Small steps. Yeah. And I think that's really what it's about is like taking really small steps. I always say, and I think I said this in the last episode, so I say it all the time, when things feel really big, you take them. Absolutely. I love that. So if this feels like a really big step, take it in small pieces, titrate it, like you said. I love it. That's a good word. Okay. I know. It's it's so good. So enjoy. Enjoy your exploration. I'm really excited. (laughs) Good luck. I wish you all the pleasure. Yes. All the pleasure. Let's do a quickie. A quickie one. Let's have a quickie real quick. And then we'll go into another because the next question is pretty long. And so this question is, why are jobs <laughs> so popular? Why are foot jobs so popular? And so like a foot job is basically like a hand job, with, but with feet. With feet. And so here's like my, okay, what I want to like offer first is, are they? That's what I was going to say. I'm like, are they? <laughs> yes. You know, I've had sex with my fair share of people. Yeah. I have never done a foot job. Have you received one? Me neither. That wouldn't be in my basket of things. I'd be like, you know what? <laughs> you know what time it is. Here we go. But like, I'm it, just it saying, exists. Never, it's a thing. It people, exists, people but is it popular? I don't have enough information. Either do I. Or experience to be like, yo, I come up constantly here by foot jobs all day long. But I do, I'm aware of them. Like, <laughs> So I'm not surprised by oh, it. Oh, no. no. Yeah. But are you, have you, I mean, you're a sex therapist. Do you hear a lot of... I mean, honestly, never. Yeah. And so, okay. And, and I don't want to, like, this is, this is not shaming the no. person who thinks it's popular. Like, 
I don't necessarily, it's not my experience that they're popular, that they're definitely a thing. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And so that's all I have for that person, really. Do you have anything to add, Amy? No, I mean, I've never, both in my personal and professional life, have never encountered giving one or being asked for one or also talking to anyone about them. That being said, I mean, I think if you, the only thing I can think, and I don't know if this is true or not, but like if you log on to like your run-of-the-mill porn site, is a foot job something that's like on the home screen? Yes. I, yes. Yeah, maybe. Like, is that why we're, we're saying it's popular? Yeah, like, me, is this more of a porn thing? Yeah. I or mean, like a fetish thing or something like that? Uh, we'll say, I mean, I did not research this. You know, I kind of wanted just to go from like yeah. our, you know, you're asking us. But yeah, so I think that could be it. It could be more of a porn thing. Yeah. I just want to take a moment to say porn is not reality. No. <laughs> no. It's not. It's not educational. It's meant for entertainment. Yes. It's not reality. And yeah, I mean, I saw queer sex therapy on Instagram recently posted. Yeah, they're great. Rose posted about thigh jobs, which is like, I, I saw that too. Thigh yeah. job, which is basically, I mean, so thigh like, job would be like having thighs together. Putting and, the cock between your and thighs and up and down, up and down. I've heard of this, yes. but when I heard it, it was called cornholing. <laughs> oh, whoa. Yeah. Like the game. Oh, okay. Interesting. And you know where I heard that from? Where? Gene Wilder's biography. Oh, oh. Oh. Okay, Gene, I see you. Kiss me like a stranger. It's like, what? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Okay, that's the thing. That's another conversation to have because I want to know why. It's different. Yeah, let's... let's, You read that book. Let's save that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so that's that's what we have to say about that one. I Mm -hmm. thought that would be quick. Okay, let's go into this longer question now. It's going to take me just a second Ready. to find it. So this is a little bit longer, so you all have to like kind of bear with me to read it. I'm already having fun. <laughs> I'm a young man, my 50s, who has been married for 18 years. As I've gotten older, I've had ED, so erectile dysfunction issues, and taken different Viagra-type pills to handle it. The worst that would happen is that I'd have to get myself closer than the woman could, But at some point, I'd be solid and could finish from there. Starting two years ago, that stopped, meaning I would get hard at the beginning, but then lose it, then get myself closer, but not be able to get hard before I would feel like I had to finish. It makes me crazy because I'll still wake up with a persistent morning wood that is much better than I have. And when I'm by myself, I can generally stay hard enough, but it's over 30 minutes and with nasty porn. The last piece of this puzzle is that my wife and of the 150 plus women I was with up until I was 32, she is in the bottom 20% of enthusiasm, empathy, skill, et cetera. As for example, look, I'm postmenopausal. I will never want to have sex again with anyone. I do this as a favor. This takes a lot out of it for me and hurts my performance a lot. So to address this, I've been trying to get my wife to build up slower, add oral sexing consistently. I'm lucky there for someone married in their 50s. I've been appreciating her body more and gotten her into using a vibrator while we're at it, though it's the same maddening sequence every single time and have cut way back on solo sessions. Do you think counseling could help? Because it feels very psychological. I know counseling her would help, but I don't think that's an option. Hmm. Okay. I'm going to hand this one over to the sex therapist first because I feel like you'll have lots to say. 
I do. I have so much. There's so many parts of this question. There are so many things to address. And it gets boiled down to this one question of, do you think counseling would help? And my answer is yes. Right. And then the second piece of that is like, I think counseling her would help, but I don't think that's an option. And so I also have questions about that. Like, you know, we always want to identify our partner as the one who needs more help. Absolutely. Right. So I think there is also probably a dynamic that is impacting this whole situation. So my first step with this person would be to send them to a doctor, a medical doctor for an assessment if they haven't already had one, right? Because in my work, we want to rule out anything medical. I can't help you with that. I'm, you know, I don't do blood work and all those kinds of things. There's a great sexual medicine doctor in Philly. His name's Paul Giddens. He is like the creme de la creme. You don't find a lot of sexual health doctors. So anyway, that would be my first step. My second thing, and this is something I always talk about with my ED clients. Why can't we have sexual play with a flaccid penis? Let's sit there for a second. Let that land. Expand. Let that land. Expand the need to have to. Always be hard. Always be hard. I did a um, workshop with just men. It was great. And I had them list all the sexual narratives for men. And, you know, it, it was a lot of cisgendered men. So we definitely it focused on that. And one of them said, one of the narratives is a flaccid penis isn't desirable, which is absolutely a narrative. And that only a hard penis is desirable or sexy or, you know, and yes, it, that is so, it's such a narrative, it's such a narrative. And yeah, it hurts us, <laughs> all of us. Mm-hmm. There's so much incredible sexual play that can happen with a flaccid penis that can happen with a hard penis, right? I mean, think about oral sex. Like you can fit the entirety of a flaccid penis in your mouth, probably. Magic. Yeah. And a testicles too. <laughs> yeah. Well, the whole thing. Doesn't that sound awesome? I mean, I don't have a penis, but I, don't, I imagine that that would be awesome. I have one. I'm thinking about it for a, quick, for a second. I'm just like, how hey. does that feel? Because yeah, so I want to hear I have your resist- thoughts. I have resistance. Mm, to that. I mean, I yes, that's exciting. Woo, get it all. But like, yeah, it just, I mean, uh, yeah, it's it's a hard thing to let go of. Yeah, I'm sorry. I have to point out that pun. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I gotta. <laughs> oh, I, was, I wasn't even trying. Oh, I couldn't help I wasn't that. even trying. So it's a hard thing to let go it of. It is. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a narrative yeah. that's so ingrained. What is it? <sighs> I mean... You start out and you have sex is always built up as a young man. You're just like, oh, sex. How's this work? And then you experience it and then you kind of get hooked on like what the embodiment in that moment is. And then mm-hmm. that, that, that carries through out your entire rest of your sexual, you know, experiencing, interacting, you know, like. It just is just there. You you, you want to be in a space where you're feeling secure and you're feeling strong. And yeah, a lot of the times having a hard cock just, you know. Makes, that's what we're taught. That's what we're taught. But it's also, I mean, as a man, it's just like, yeah, I feel secure in knowing that I can maintain interaction and have sex for a certain period of time. Like, it's just, I'm like, yeah. But also it's important to be expanding your perceptions of mm-hmm. what sex is, period. And it feels like this is an opportunity for this person to do that. It's not like they're doing it, doing it a little bit, mm-hmm. but, um, and also decentering, uh, you know, 
orgasms and like, penetrative and, sex. And penetrative sex. It's just like there's so many other like levels of interacting that you can do that like, could create intimacy and like connection and uh, make you feel like you're being seen and also showing up in a thoughtful, you know, like held way. I don't know. Just culturally, it's, it's conditioned response. I feel it in me. I feel mm-hmm. it in my, my body. I'm going to play out the two different scenarios for you really fast and how I imagine mm-hmm. it. Okay. You tell me like what feels more connecting. Okay. So here you are. You're in the midst of a sexual experience. The penis is hard. And then you lose the erection and everything stops. And it's this big, oh no moment. Oh no, what do we do? Every, all the sexual play stops and it becomes focused on the flaccid penis in a negative light. And then you have to start over essentially and get things going again. Now imagine you're in the midst of a sexual experience and you lose the erection and it just keeps going energy continues. You're, you're not saying this is a problem. You're saying like, oh, okay, this is something new and different that I can play with and we can both experience some level of pleasure. And maybe the erection comes back and you resume whatever you were doing prior to the loss of the erection, or maybe it doesn't and the sexual experience takes a different turn. So if you're doing it that way, then you're also addressing this problem of the maddening sequence the same maddening sequence because the sequence changes. So it's just shifting the pattern. Yeah. If, and which I talk about all the time, if you want to see change, you got to do something different. Yeah. <laughs> you got to change the pattern. Staying in the pleasure is going to be a connective experience for both of you. There's a lot of shame around losing an erection, right? And he said he's in his fifties. Like I imagine just from, you know, men that I've worked with in general, like there are, you know, the question of like, I'm, aging. What does that mean for me? And then you add in erectile dysfunction, like that carries its whole, its own narrative. So if we just treat it as if it's just part of the process and you say like, oh, great, let's do it this way. Agreed. Yeah. And then also having a partner that's really doesn't have that much interest, but is also looking to kind of help support, support having like, you know, like a maintenance sex mm-hmm, yeah. in, in the space. I mean, I just, I'm curious if there's any space of them talking for the, them opening and ha- him able to have experiences outside of that, that, uh, that, that his marriage. Yeah. I mean, I think, I, I think first working with what's going on within, sure. you know, because like if, yes, I think that when like it's mismatched libidos and things of that nature, considering that can be good of like what that could look like. Mm-hmm. And I also just think playing with this reprogramming of doing something like, you know, like doing something different in the moment. Are are there kinks that you're in, into? Are there, you know, like, because the thing about kink is like, is most of the time you're not having any kind of, of, you know, quote unquote sex when it's kink. It's, but it's so deeply satisfying. So it's still in my mind considered sex. Right. Yeah. But like, you know, and so there's, yeah, there's lots of things that you can do. I'm like, okay, your, your penis, uh, you know, isn't erect anymore, as erect as it was. Okay, well, can, I mean, I don't know if she, you know, like, does she still get pleasure from oral sex? Like, can you go down on her or, you know, do things of that nature? And also like taking breaks are okay mm-hmm. <laughs> too, you know? And like, there's just so much like, and that's when we move away from sex being a performance. Yeah. And, and yeah, I think like, the idea of what do you think about that, Amy, in, in the sense of like, you know, maybe not right away, but like, you know, with the idea of mismatched libidos or, or like, you know, a, a libido, like somebody who's like, okay, like I don't, like sex isn't really something that's a priority for me anymore. What do you think people's options are around that? Well, I mean, I think it depends on the people. I think there's a million options. 
I mean, mismatched desire is the most normal issue in a relationship around sex. I feel like it would be so difficult to find two people who want to have sex at the same time all the time. Impossible. I mean, that's, that's like a unicorn relationship. (laughs) Yeah. Real. Yeah. Like there's going to be different things, but I think communicating about that. And I like, I mean, you could move into more sensual play or, I mean, imagine how sexy it would be if you said like, Brittany, like breaks are okay. And I totally agree with that. If someone just said like, I'll be back for you later. And just leaves it at that. And then there's this like cliffhanger that's like kind of sexy and there's like this mystery to it. I mean, there, it doesn't have to be any one way to next point. Like I think sometimes if mismatch to libido is like a problem for an extended period of time, you address the internal stuff. If opening the relationship feels like the next step, then, you know, there are ways to do that. And stay connected. I mean, you two know better than anyone. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's to that, I would say, get a therapist and buckle up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's what I would say, or a counselor and yeah, buckle up. Yeah, counseling would be useful. Yeah, period. I absolutely think, like, to this person's actual question, yes, I do think that counseling would be really helpful because I, it does sound like, and, and, and you, you sense that, like you say, like, it feels psychological, like there's something at the center of this, yeah. right? And so, you know, trust that, that intuition and move towards that and it explore these other possibilities because it's like it's the intention of things like the the stories that we tell everything's a story right and so what story do you want to tell do you want to tell like oh my penis is broken now and i can't do anything like do you want to tell that story or do you want to tell the story of my body shifted in this moment and now we can do something else and it can be just as wonderful because if, you know, you keep telling your penis it's broken. I know you didn't say that those words, but there's definitely that energy there, right? Then your penis and your body and like, the, you know, it's going to, it's going to hear that. It's hearing that, right? Mm-hmm. It hears that frustration. It hear, it. Yeah, it feels it, right? I made the penis have ears for a second. My pretend penis has ears That's and mouth. <laughs> That'd be the weirdest shit. That'd be weird. It'd be hard to get the blowjob, right? Um, but, yeah. but yeah, and so I think that that's it. Is like, what, what narrative do you want? I mean, it's all narrative, yeah. <laughs> you know, around those this particular thing. And like, where do you want to go? And what kind of intention do you want to have? Yeah, lean toward uh, not like just focusing on it. Like, yeah. Yeah. You know, the the defect, or you know, or, or not feeling like you, as if you're you know showing up in, as strong as you possibly can, but lean towards space where it's more expansive, and you're yeah. just connecting with your partner, like just having those moments. I love that. Next question. These Next are going question. really well. Okay. So, if I feel turned on by and attracted to other women, but may not actually have a desire to get sexually intimate, what could that mean about my sexuality? I feel unable to put a label on my sexual identity and wonder if there is even a word for it. I am also attracted to men and do enjoy sexual intimacy with my man. I don't feel like a heterosexual woman, but I also don't know if I am pan or bi either. I mean, sometimes I think we have to dare to be simple. One of my favorite therapists that I follow says that all the time, dare to be simple. A label doesn't feel right. Don't label it. Don't label it. Mm, Yeah. I honor like the fact that she wants to kind of know what that means, you know, like also like, so yeah. So first like sitting with the idea that like, it doesn't, you don't have to, it doesn't have to mean anything. Mm -mm. I do think that, you know, if I'm going to indulge her for a second, 
yeah, okay, you're sexually attracted or you're, yeah, sexually, you find women attracted, you're sexually attracted to them, but you don't want to have sex with them. You know, there's, what is it called? And I'm, you can lean more towards like bi-romantic or bisexual. Like you can, and I mean, I'm a, I'm a good example of that. You know, I'm bisexual. I tend to to be more drawn to, to men in, in general, but I also, with women, I, I feel like I'm a little bit more on the like bi-romantic tip with women. And that's something to unpack for another podcast. <laughs> but I, I, you know, I do think that like you can be drawn to women and not want to have sex with them and you can still be bisexual. Yeah. And I think that's something like you can be bi or pansexual and not necessarily and because like, for example, like if someone's younger and, you know, like a 12 year old can be bisexual, 10 year old can be bisexual or, or queer or gay and not be having sex yet. Yeah, that's a good point. I think that it is still possible. And if those labels don't fit you, like Amy said, then you don't need them. Or like you said, you know, don't use them. but I do think it's the, idea you can also expand those labels a little bit to fit you yeah. as well. Yeah. I think that's the flip side of like, if they don't, if the labels don't fit, you don't label yourself, but then how are we defining these labels? Is bisexuality just a person who has sex with people of either gen- of male gender or female gender, right? Is that how we're defining it? Or are we defining it as someone who's attracted to males and females, right? Or people with penises, people with vaginas, right? Yeah. I, it depends on the definitions here. And I think like expanding on either side could create more space for this person to find somewhere where they feel like they fit. Because I, th- I think at the core of this question, it's like, who am I? Which is I mean, something we're all trying to answer all the time, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're beautiful and you're human. Yeah. And you like what you like. Yeah. And it's all okay. <laughs> it's all it's okay. It's all okay. And this, you know, if you give it some space and like, oh, if you need to really cling to that identity, but give it some space, you know, it could also expand and open in different ways. Could. It could. I mean, who knows, but it could. And so have, hold some space for that too, I would say. Mm-hmm. I think, Brittany, to your point, right? Being flexible about what it means. Yes. Letting it be an unfolding rather than looking for a destination. There's also this thing called, have you heard of the attraction layer cake? No, tell us. Okay, so if you Google it, it'll come right. Me too. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But instead of like a spectrum, like one line of like straight to gay. Oh yes, I've heard of this. Yeah. There's like all these layers and you can identify like, there's a, it's gender, it's sexuality, it's demisexual. It's all of it kind of in one infographic. It's not an infographic. It's just like a chart. I don't know. You know, this, these feel, they feel like we're getting into math territory, which is like, <laughs> no, I promise you. <laughs> but it's a picture. Yeah. <laughs> it's a picture. It shows layers. Layers. And there's like a million places where you could land. And also like knowing that it could also change for you. You can land one place one day and then wake up the next day and say like, I should think I'm more here today. Yeah. And that's okay. That's okay too. Meet yourself where you're at. Yes. Meet yourself where you're at. Okay. So now we're going to move on to some polyamory questions. Okay. We're going to do a little bit of a rapid fire poly poly round because we got a bunch of them. So let's see what we can get through. This one's interesting. Mm-hmm. So like, again, so these are going to be rapid fire. So we're just going to kind of like give like some quick answers. Ready. Does polyamory become less desirable as we age? Does it need more energy? Because it like needs more energy and comes from folks involved, right? So like, meaning like, <laughs> I kind of feel like what this person is saying is like, as I get older, I don't want to work as hard. And so- I'm tired. Yeah. I'm, I'm sleeping. And what I see is I actually see a lot of people like 
opening up like once kids are like if people have kids once kids are at like out of the house and things like that open up and exploring in that way mm-hmm. and so we're like swinging things of that nature yeah and i also think that no i don't think that that's the case no no i think it's if anything the opposite i think also in the, the world that we're in because it's getting normalized i think that it's happening sooner and sooner mm-hmm. and and earlier and earlier yeah what are you thinking yeah i agree i don't think age has anything to do with it i think the older we get, you know, in a perfect world, the more we're knowing about ourselves and the more we're understanding about ourselves, my guess is it's probably more likely. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I think. Did you know? Great. Moving on. <laughs> I was like, I got nothing else to add to this question. Okay. I like this one. We can, I feel like we can do this one for sure. How do you date or meet people if you're not out with family and friends? So like before you've told people, how do you actually meet people if you don't want to go on dating apps? Dating apps are my, my main jam. My yeah. main jam. Just, it makes it that much easier to basically weed through the sea of uh, humans and be like, all right, you're, you're looking for this. I'm looking for this. And just line, it's just a way swifter way of going about it for me personally. Like I, I don't think I've met someone maybe once yeah, if, within the whole time we've been open, like out in, in, in the wild. So I think that dating apps are great. And I think that it's, are you worried that someone's going to see you on a dating app? It's probably it. Like, are you worried that like, you know, Aunt Susie is going to be like, oh shit, your husband's cheating on you, <laughs> you know, because that has happened yeah. to people, right? That can happen out in the world too. I literally with a partner and they weren't out and someone saw them and they thought he was cheating and oh, that was fun. That's for another episode. But yeah, they totally thought that he was cheating and it was like a whole thing, right? And so I think that there's an element of risk if you're not going to be open, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, if you're not going to be open about being open. Yeah. I would say still go on those dating apps and maybe go on one so that the possibility of people seeing, and then if someone confronts you, you deal with it then. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And you still don't have to tell them. Nope. No. You it's don't. no one's business. Mm-mm. No, you could say this is something between me and my partner. I know. They know. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Like, or, or finding a closed group of, you know, poly, you know, open-minded people and like, you know, or meetup groups that people, you know, and, you know, find meetings and clubs you can go to that, that puts you in those spaces with people who are actually, you know, living the lifestyle. That, yeah, that'd I agree. That'd be, that'd be a way of going out in public and having uh, those interactions. Sure. I think that's great. You know, you can go to Facebook groups and things like that and then start to meet people in that way as well. Mm-hmm. And in the beginning, we didn't. For the first eight, mm-hmm. six months, we weren't on dating apps. And I met some people, you met a couple people and then, you know, and then we went on dating apps for a bit and then we kind of were open about it and let people know. Yeah. And so I think it, you know, I I think it depends on why you're not out. Are you, is it a job thing? Are you, is it a children thing? I think you should, you know, kind of be clear on that. Mm -hmm. But I think like starting to get curious about whether or not you can actually be open or, or take that risk of maybe someone seeing because if at all possible, live your fucking truth. Yeah. Yeah. In agreement of living your truth. That's good. <laughs> live your fucking truth, not just your live truth. Live your fucking truth. Live your fucking truth. <laughs> Boom. Okay. Okay. Logistics advice for dating and seeing people when you have a nesting partner. Oh, we can talk to this for sure. Okay. So should we talk about like the boundaries or what do you want to say? Get a calendar. <laughs> Get a joint calendar 
check on that kind of recommend it for everyone honestly even if yes. you're <laughs> any relationship please yeah. get a drink calendar share yeah. it just by I'm putting dates on here be mindful of the frequency in which you're doing things per week check in with your partner if it's okay for you to have multiple dates within, within a week but yeah having a shared calendar and being able to see each other's schedules and be like alright we got this we got this we're going here it just it makes it a little more easy to be able to schedule things but yeah always be in communication and the calendar is a shit and I think getting clear on boundaries, yes. if you do have a nesting partner and there is some priority within that mm-hmm. relationship, the biggest one for us that has been always still and after six years is still happening to an extent is Sundays and Tuesdays are our day. We never schedule things on there. If, you know, Sundays, sometimes if you know, Nick's working or things like that, if there is a time where that has to be, we have a conversation about it. Mm-hmm. And not to say that we don't have a conversation about you scheduling other things, but like those are our days. So we know that they're protected and that we can have that space. Yeah. You know, sometimes I ask like, could you not like schedule like three dates in one day, one week? Or like, you know, if Nick has like, is working an entire weekend, like, Mm -hmm. could you maybe be mindful of like when you're scheduling stuff, like things of that nature, which you'll understand like as you move forward, I think. But yeah, I think that it's getting really clear on the boundaries. Have a great calendar. Mm -hmm. Anything you want to add, Amy? I mean, I think what you were talking about is like expressing your own needs. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Being mindful, having a calendar, get comfortable expressing your own needs. Yes. Jam. Yeah. And I I think that's like the easiest way to move forward. And as things come up, you can use them and understand them. And you can, there might be some things and some boundaries that you really like, we don't have guests in our or partners in our bed. Maybe we will one day, Maybe. but like, it's just something that feels good for us. We have a, what's it called? Blow up mattress. That's really cute and looks like regular mattress and mm-hmm. we set it up and that's fine if we do that or, you know, we sleep out. And so, you know, you just recognize that like boundaries are in place. They oftentimes create safety and that they can move and shift and, you know, be open to that. Yeah. It's just really benef- beneficial for us to be able to have uh, things that root us in us and are able, especially in the nesting situation, so we can stay connected. And I mean, if the foundation's not firm here, everything else kind of suffers. That's something to keep in mind. Yeah. Okay. So we do have a couple more questions and Nick has to run. Yes. But I think Amy and I are going to answer a few more questions mm-hmm. if that feels good. Okay. So now it's just me and Amy. And we're going to ask just a, <laughs> hello, we're just going to ask a couple more, answer a couple more questions because they're good and we want to get to them. Okay. So let's start with this one because this is an easy answer. <laughs> How do I know if my girl has a kink without asking her? <laughs> you don't. <laughs> yeah. Impossible. Unless you become a mind reader, which. It's not going to happen. I mean, hey, anything is possible, but. Sounds terrible. Yeah. <laughs> but. Everything, there's this, um, this thinking in, you know, sex therapy, couples therapy that like everything that happens before sex is foreplay. Make it foreplay. Ask her questions. And here's the thing, like, why don't you want to ask her if she has any, like, are you afraid of offending her? Are you afraid of her asking you back what yours are? Like, what is the fear of communicating with your partner? Because that's, it's important, right? And so if there is some trepidation about that communication, I would look into that. I would get curious about that because communication, I think it's really necessary to have amazing, amazing sex. And it's the cornerstone, right? It's absolutely the cornerstone. And we had someone on recently on 
Caroline Reed, and she did talk about how like she can be shy. And so she writes things down. And so that's another way, you know, to do it is that you could write things down and say like, oh, like, can we write down our kinks and share them or write down a few or things like that if communication, you know, is challenging. Yeah. And I'm trying to remember the name of it right now, but there's this website that partners can fill out yes, no, maybe lists. Sex with Emily. Is it on Sex with Emily? Okay. It's definitely Sex with Emily has it. Yeah. Okay. And then do they share where you, the website then shares with your partner where you match up? I don't know if she has that. I think it might be printouts. Okay. This is different maybe. Okay. Let me see if I can find it and I'll send it to you. You can put it in the show notes or something. Whatever. Yeah. That's great. But it's this thing where you like go through all of the questions. It, it is kind of like a safety thing, right? Because then like you say yes and your partner says yes. And then it tells you, you both say yes. Oh, and so you don't have to see the other ones. Yeah. So if, if you're both saying no, maybe it shows you that. I can't remember. But if one person says yes and one person says no, that doesn't even show up. Oh, that's great. Yes. So like you could send something like that too. But again, I mean, that as like a you could do that, but also you could just communicate. I'm on that tip. Like it's so easy, right? <laughs> communicate. And if there are things that she's doing or asks for that lead you to believe that there may be a kink, you could just say, hey, like I've noticed that you really like this. Would you be interested in something like this? And it, I think that that comes across as incredibly romantic in like, I'm paying attention to your needs. And I want to know more about you. Yes. I love that. Romantic and sensitive and thoughtful. Yeah. And creates, and that creates safety. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Okay. So next question. So this one's going to be, I'm going to field this one. (laughs) What is healing Tantra? Okay. And so I'll just quickly, there is lots of different kinds of Tantra. There's Tantra that's lineage-based, which is the kind that I teach. There's Tantra that's not necessarily, right? There's there's just so many different types of Tantra and the intention and the skill level, even the integrity or behind it, it, it all varies and differs, right? And so like, if you're going to Google it, you're going to find a million, a billion different things. The Tantra that I teach that is based on healing is a spiritual science that is designed to transform consciousness in order to realize enlightenment, right? And so... The purpose of it literally is to use practices. What, what you need to recognize is that Tantra is not only sex, that lineage-based Tantra, the Tantra that I teach is rooted in Tibetan lineage. It's authentic Tantra. That's the name of the institute I studied with. That its purpose is for healing. And it's not just sexual practices though. The root of it is actually a five elemental system that is meditations. You work with these meditations, they are 17,000 years old and they're potent medicine and they're treated like that, right? And so I would say what is Tantra healing really is it's Eastern medicine, right? That is designed to help us to heal. And is there sexual practices that we can include in that? Yes, but Tantra isn't sex, right? And so I just think that's important to know. Any thoughts on that one, Amy? I know that's that's another area, but What I'm thinking as you're talking about all of this, like hers is very focused, like tantric healing is very focused on healing, but all of the things that we've talked about throughout all of these questions today has so much to do with healing just in general. Oh, yes, absolutely. Right. Like even when we were, I wish Nick was still here, we could talk to him about this, but like healing this toxic narrative that only good penis is a hard penis. Yeah. Right. Isn't that healing? to accept your body in whatever iteration it's showing up as. Absolutely. So that's just what I'm thinking about, like how sex and exploring these topics in general is 
so healing. It absolutely is. And then to have these, like I call them backdoor tools, like tools that are transforming our consciousness helps with that. Right. Like when I work with people, like I don't just do the Tantra. I do, there's a lot of integration work and a lot of processing and a lot of stuff that doesn't even have to do with sex. And you've talked about this before. Right. And so, um, and it's really nice to have some tools that like cut through the noise, so to speak. Right. And go to the center. And that's what the Tantra does. And I feel like because it is an ancient practice, right. I was saying earlier, earlier, like dare to be simple. I feel like as time goes on, as we get more technology as, you know, everything's accessible. Things get increasingly more complicated. Not to say that people weren't complex when all of this was created, but I do think that they valued simplicity in a way that is so helpful because it gets to the heart of the matter. I agree. Yeah. And that's the same with yoga. You know, yoga is also an ancient practice. It's been heavily appropriated, but at its root, its purpose is also healing. <laughs> okay. So here's our last one. I am into being dominated. Why? <laughs> what you got, sex therapist? <laughs> I mean, without asking this person like a million specific questions, like I don't know why. Yeah, and I did. I said, could you give me a little bit more? And I, did, I didn't hear back, right? But so can we just talk about in general a little bit about like the idea of being submissive, being dominant or being into being, well, this question, being into being dominated. I mean, I can speak from that as someone who has, you know, played in the space of being a sub for a while. I also identify as a switch, but, you know, I can talk about that, but I would also love to just hear your perspective on like why these things occur. Yeah. I mean, I think it happens for a lot of reasons. I think sometimes, sometimes we can be playing with our, the role we play in other places in our lives, right? Like if you have a job that you're like constantly in service of others, you might want to feel dominant. That might come up in that way. If you are healing from something where you felt like your power was taken away, it might be further healing. Again, we're talking about healing to then take on the dominant role. There could be a lot of reasons. Or, and I, I want to speak to that for a second, because being the submissive can also be really healing, even if your power was taken away, because really the submissive is in, in, in control. Right. Like the submissive is the one that is in control, even though the dom on the outside looks that way. Right. Like because the submissive, it's it's what the submissive ultimately they run the show. Yes, what they're okay with or not okay with. They're not okay with. And that that scene stops instantly if it needs to, right? And so, you know, there was an episode recently on Dan Savage where they talked about with an intimacy coach this idea of of someone who, you know, comes goes into like a fawn response or a freeze response and around like her partner wanting to to be intimate and the idea of how engaging in kink in a submissive role could be helpful. I also think it's powerful and I'm you know, curious about your take on this. I think that kink can also be re-traumatizing if not done in you know really conscious, boundaried way. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So I think, you know, part what you're talking about in the submissive role of how it can be really empowering is in the context of a being done consciously, right? Because as you're talking, I'm thinking like, yes, absolutely that. And that's like, I don't want to use the word perfect, but that's the ideal experience. Like if the submissive says stop, it stops, everything stops, right? And I think like, you know, as we're talking about like, why dumb, why sub, right? Because we're all unique, it can manifest in 
and all of us differently. Like someone who experienced powerlessness might say being the submissive and taking my power back in that way is what feels right for me. Someone else might say dumb. Someone else might switch, right? Yeah, to be able to play within both of those roles. And also, I know what I know because of Dan Savage uh, <laughs> and training. But <laughs> Dan Savage talks about this a lot. And I, and I appreciate this, the transgressiveness of a lot of our kinks, right? That they push back on something right? Whether it's in society or the way, like you were saying, Amy, like, you know, if you're used to being in in control a lot, that the ability to, you know, let go of that control and really submit, who can be so healing and fulfilling. I mean, I can feel it on my body as I talk about it. I know. I feel it too, as you're talking about Mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Right. It's, it's so powerful. And then, I mean, there's the concept, there's like, I feel like I could do a whole episode on this question, right? There's the concept of like intergenerational trauma and patterns. Like maybe you're reclaiming something that generationally you didn't have, your family didn't have. I heard there's this episode of um, Where Should We Begin with Esther Perel? You ever listened to that? And it's this woman talking about reclaiming her body because throughout history, like her ancestors' bodies had been, had belonged to other people and things had been done to them without consent. And she reclaims that through her own sex and her own sexual experiences. So like being a dom, you can be reclaiming things from generations. I agree. I think it's incredibly empowering. And I think it comes back to the question about like, what's my sexual identity thing, you know, where Nick was like, does it matter? And you were like, does it like, do you need that? I think that's the thing is, you know, we always want to know why, why do I feel this way? Why do I do this? Or, or even if someone has an injury, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? You know, and I'll use this as an example. A lot of times say I have like a pain in my shoulder or like something in my back. Like I, I've had a lot of experiences with doctors when I was younger. And so I choose not to go to regular doctors. And a lot of times what I do with that is I listen to it and I listen to my body and I listen to what it needs. And I just provide like focused care as opposed to putting all my energy into figuring out what is wrong and finding a diagnosis. Now I'm not saying things don't need to be diagnosed. They do, right? But there's this also, I feel like we have an obsession with that in our culture And I think this goes into that, you know, why do I like to be dominated? Why am I attracted to women, but don't want to, you know, have sex with them? Like all of these things. And it's like, what if you give yourself and your body and your consciousness fucking space? I had this experience, the same thing with someone recently where they were talking to me about all these pains that they were experiencing because they were working out all the time. And I just said like, what if you rested for a while? And they looked at me like I had 12 heads. (laughs) But then they they contacted me later and they were like, Amy, the craziest thing happened. I rested for two weeks and now all my aches and pains are gone. Whoa, (laughs) the craziest thing. I took care of my body. That's like you listened. Like listen deeply, right? You listen deeply and then you respond accordingly. And when we talk about healing, I mean, that's the ability to listen to ourselves, to all of our parts, to our younger selves, like that's it. And then, you know, coming full circle, that's how we have amazing sex. We listen. Yeah, absolutely. We listen to our bodies. We listen to each other. And that's how it all, that's, uh, that's how it goes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think we're done. I think we, I think we got through all the questions. I think so. And I also love this as an ending point. Yeah. It feels really lovely. It does. Like true healing through deep listening 
and connecting and sex. And sex. It's all possible. I feel so like weird that Nick's not here at this ending. But don't worry, y'all, because we will have a recap for you at the end of this. So you'll get to hear his voice again. <laughs> but I, I'm like, he's not here. <laughs> it's so lovely to feel how like the energy that Nick brings to these conversations of him not being here. So thank you so much, Amy, for being here. We'll give everyone you know, how to find you on Amy's Emotional at um, an Instagram. Anything else you want to let people know about you? No, I just feel so honored to be back and to have had the opportunity to talk about all of these things with both you and Nick. I I love that we all bring different things to the table and that I hope it provides uh, many things to many people, right? Just the different perspectives. Agreed. Thank you so much. Answering questions is awesome. Oh, so much fun. You have these amazing prompts and these opportunities to just drop into other people's shit mm -hmm. <laughs> and not even just shit, but like yeah, their, but, their, their hearts. Yeah. Yeah. Their hearts. And also it makes you kind of, you know, reflect upon you know, your life and how yeah. things apply to you and what your questions were when like these things popped up for you. So, Absolutely. So it's nice to keep offering uh, input and being able to answer questions to people who are you know, checking out the podcast. Yeah. Like, greatly appreciate it. Y'all. Yeah. Thank you so much, everyone, for your questions. Those of you that asked, I hope that you feel fulfilled with the answers. Also, thank you for being here with us. Thank you for showing up. Thank you for your reviews. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Thank you for helping us spread the kitchen table love. It's been such a joy and a pleasure to offer this deep heart offering to you every single week. It's been a treat and absolutely, um, it has for sure pushed my edges. So I'm mm. um, looking forward to season two and having more dope ass conversations and answering questions. Yeah. Me too. And I think also it's really strengthened us too. I think we've had, you know, challenges and just the production of things and the way that we both do things. And I think that that's something to also, you know, like it's allowed us to move through some of our challenges as well. Mm -hmm. Yes. And it's really beautiful when we, that we've chosen to create this together. Cause originally I was going to do a podcast by myself where mm -hmm. I interview people, but I just had that one morning and I woke up and it came to me of like, I need to do this with Nick. And I'm so glad that happened and that we're doing this together. It's been an honor to do this with you. It's been an honor to bear witness to you and your growth. And yeah, cheers to more of this and that. Thank you. <laughs> I'm getting emotional. <laughs> Let it flow. It's been beautiful watching your growth too. Because I think in these past like eight months, there's been, or six months, however, it's been a lot of, well, for me, yeah. my year, it's been a lot of growth. Nice. And I think also like we're fucking awesome <laughs> together. <laughs> Individually and also together. I love it. Yes. And I think it's like really lovely to acknowledge that. Mm -hmm. Ain't nothing wrong with knowing. So you're welcome. Everybody. <laughs> Cheers, universe. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. Follow Amy at Amy's Emotional on Instagram. That's A-M-Y-S-E-M-O-T-I-O-N-A-L. And you can find her at wctherapygroup.com. Follow me at sexually underscore liberated on Instagram and check out my website at brittanypolacastro.com. And we're on Twitter. Follow us at ktablepodcast. Follow me at Nick Anthony Photo on Instagram and check out my website at nickantony.com. Editing by Audio Knots, music by Greta Hopmer. 
And please like, subscribe, and follow this podcast. Share this episode with someone you think would love it. Give us five stars if you think this is amazing. (laughs) Help us spread the kitchen table love, y'all. Help us spread the love. Until next time, we will see you in season two. Deuces. Deuces.